When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Basu and Gadai Notebook on this Friday, February 23rd. Hello, my friend. How are you today? I'm good. I'm yeah? good. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Doing well. It's Friday. Um, but yeah, not, Canadians not doing not so too well. Disappointed. Not too disappointed to, uh, that you were not in Pittsburgh. It's a fun city to be in. It is a fun city to be in. Um, I'm not disappointed to not be on this trip. It's... It's not a great trip, to be honest with you. I mean, just in terms, just so, you know, our listeners and viewers know, like, basically the way we evaluate a trip is not the cities that you're in. It's how much access to the team that you get as, as a reporter. And so on this trip, you had a morning skate in Pittsburgh, post game. They were getting out of town after the game. Then they have a day off in New Jersey on Friday. Then they have an afternoon game on Saturday in New Jersey. And so no morning skate there. So only a post game avail. So, yeah, not much. Not much access to the team on this trip, so I'm I'm happy to be uh, I'm happy to be saying this one out. They didn't even have a, a morning skate in in Pittsburgh. There was only oh, that's Martins true. There was only a veil. That's right. They switched that too. Yeah, it's so really, it, was re- it was even worse really from an avail standpoint. <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah. glad that we can pick and choose uh, the trips that are appropriate. But anyhow, I mean. Regardless of that, we did want to talk a little bit about the state of the team. Um, obviously, the trade deadline is is right around the corner. Um, two weeks today, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Is my math right? Yes, it is. Two weeks today. Yeah. So um, The countdown is and, on. Yeah, the Canadians are, are plummeting down the standings, which I'm sure to a lot of fans is good news. And I'm not saying you're wrong. But, you know, the, there's a certain – this is the worst stretch the Canadians have had. I mean, they've had another four-game losing streak earlier in the season. Uh, this matches that. This is the worst stretch they've had this season. Yeah. It's the first time all year they are five games below 500. In fact, it's the first time all year that they're more than three games below 500, if I'm not mistaken. So they've had this – all year they've managed to sort of be – within striking distance of 500, no more than two games above 500, no less than three, no more than three games below 500. And now they have slipped below that threshold um, kind of at the perfect time. So it's <laughs> it yeah. sort of makes, you know, well, they have, they have a difficult schedule in March and uh, it's the possibility, you know, we had on a previous episode, we were talking about, you know, how low can they get? And we, we said that the floor was they weren't going to get into the top five is what we kind of gathered from the way things looked then. Uh, now, not so well, sure. <laughs> I remember last year, we at some point, we were making fun of the fact that they had big games coming up, four-point games against, yes. you know, bottom dwellers. And uh, they got one of those games coming up next Tuesday when the the Coyotes will be in town. Mm-hmm. Uh, without party guy Adam Rosiska for all intents and purposes, but um, that will be one of those games where you know for the, for those though who are the proponents of the of tanking, uh, mm-hmm. they'll look at that game with great interest because that if that if there's one team right now when you look at the schedule, uh, one team that's plummeting just as much or even worse than the Canadians, it's the Coyotes, and they're the, they're the team most likely to prevent them from getting a top five ranking uh, at the lottery, uh, top five picks. So that's a big game. And before that, I mean, they're going to fight against, they're going to play against a team that's really fighting for its life. And you get into, you know, second season, second half of the season. At this point in the year, you get teams that it's, it's a lot. Uh, who's got the most urgency in their game? And mm-hmm. the Devils are, are really – fighting for it and they're they're on the they're on the outside looking in but i mean this is definitely a, a game that they're going to try to win so uh yeah it we could easily be 
talking about you know next episode about a five game losing streak with streak with uh, the Coyotes coming in. Yeah, and if if just if you look back, I mean, just in terms of the Canadians' potential to move down the standings, if you will, um, you know, right now they're sitting that so they already they just had one of those four point games against Buffalo, so they lost that. Um, Buffalo's two points ahead of them. Uh, we're recording this obviously Friday afternoon, so before Friday evening's games, Buffalo I believe has a game this evening. Um, Ottawa's a point back with three games in hand. They're playing much better hockey under Jacques Martin right now and, and kind nice. of making a bit of a push. Um, the Coyotes, as you mentioned, have lost six in a row, uh, but they're only two points back with a game in hand. Even Columbus, who are sitting with the right now with the fourth best lottery odds, uh, they're at 46 points. They're six points behind the Canadians with two games in hand. So let's put that as the possible floor for the K, even though it's it's making up a six point gap is pretty unlikely when you're the Columbus Blue Jackets as bad as the Canadians are playing. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's going to be tough. So getting into the top five is a definite possibility here, especially if the Canadians were to lose on Tuesday. Um, but you look at the schedule. So after that, Coyote, that Coyotes game is going to be the last home game before the deadline. So it could conceivably be the last home game for one, two, three, who knows how many, maybe none. But it could be the last home game for some of the players on this team. Uh, then they go to Florida, who is a powerhouse, Tampa, Nashville fighting for their playoff lives, Carolina, Toronto. Then you have another four-point game against Columbus. And then it's Boston, and then they go out, and then it's Boston, and then they go out west, Western Canada, where they never perform well. But you also have teams that, you know, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver used to be a bit of a cream puff trip through through Western Canada. Couldn't be further from the truth now. Uh, then you have Seattle, Colorado. That's like a two week road trip that they're going to be on almost two weeks. It's 12 days, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that's going to be tough. And then you have Philly and Carolina. So, like, by the end of March, I mean, how many of those games can, can the Canadians conceivably win, especially if they get gutted between now and March 8th? Like, it's it's not hard to see a reality where by the end of March, they've lost a lot of games and have positioned themselves quite nicely for uh, for the draft lottery. Yeah, well, I don't think that they're going to get gutted that much. You know, who, you know, the likely candidates to be traded are, are very few. And... Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that the Western Canada trip is as bad as you describe it to be. I think uh, I, I would I would take if I'm the Canadians and I, I I'm looking for wins, I'll take a Western Canada trip over a trip to Florida any day. Uh, they've. I mean, yes, but I mean it's. They, they've. I think that you're going to well, Vancouver. I mean, yeah. to Vancouver. That's tough. It's like it's that's that's tough for sure. That's, yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah because they're 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 good teams right now. It's not necessarily a, a historical thing, but uh, yeah, for sure. These Edmonton's on. Yeah, I mean it's and even Calgary. I mean Calgary's Calgary's playing well, and and so who knows by then? I mean that's that game's on March 16th, so we'll see what happens. Speaking of teams that might be gutted, I might be gutted by March 8th exactly. So that Calgary yeah. team might look much different. But anyhow, point being is that. Schedule is difficult, you know, like yeah. they have, they have no back-to-backs. It's the only good part of it. It's actually very well spread out. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's a difficult schedule. So the Canadians are playing. The weird thing about this is that they've lost four straight. They're in this predicament, but I don't feel they're playing as bad as that would suggest. Um, An interesting kind of side note here is I was kind of looking at their games, their game log on natural stat trick. Yeah. And all season, Canadians have not been doing very well when it comes to expected goal percentage. I think for the season, they're one of the worst teams in the league by that metric. But generally, you look through their games and most of them, they were in the 40s and, and they weren't doing all that well. Over their last six games, according to natural stat trick, They've had, they've won the expected goal battle at five on five against their last six opponents. 57%, 52%, I'm rounding here. 57, 52, 55, 54, 64, 62. Those games, 
were a 7-2 loss to the Blues, 5-0 win against the Ducks, but then 7-4 loss to the Rangers, 4-3 loss to the Caps, 3-2 loss to the Sabres, and then 4-1 against the Penguins. So, you know, I think after the game in Pittsburgh last night, Marty kind of mentioned, and he, and he looked sort of distraught in the sense that, you know, he, he said, I'm paraphrasing, but basically it sounds like, it sounds like I keep saying the same thing, but I thought overall, I, I you know, I, I thought overall we played pretty well, you know, but they just had this, this, this two minute lapse where they gave up a couple of goals and, you know, Brendan Gallagher takes an absolute brain dead penalty in the neutral zone for ab- no apparent reason, which again, has been a theme yeah. for him. Um, we've gone over that a lot, but it's, it's, it's really, you know, overall, I think the Canadians have reason to be somewhat encouraged with the way they're playing of late, even though they're not getting results. Yeah. yeah uh, but I mean, it's true that Martin Saint-Louis has been saying over and over, uh, I think we're, for the most part, I like what we're doing. Uh, it's only lapses and we can't convert, but any mistake comes in the back of our net. It's it's like, it's really more of the same. It's It's Groundhog's Day. Uh, when it comes to the result, um, but I, there was there was a one point in the season where, well, early in the season, where this team was saved a lot by their goaltenders. Mm-hmm. And it's not the same anymore. Um, you know, it, only in February, the Canadian safe percentage is eight seventy five. So that's yeah. in eight games. Uh, it's not great. No, <laughs> so it's not, no, it's not. Uh, or no, uh, or. You know, as Guido Meng would say, after eating spicy pork and broccoli, not the best. Not the best, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it, it's intriguing, though, that you've got four straight losses, and yet the team stays above water in terms of high-danger chances, shot shares, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if it's enough to say, okay, we're building something that's that's solid there. Because it still looks like... You know, even though you play well, but you've got those little moments, what do we hear from hockey players all the time? Any mistake can end up in the back of your net. Well, if you make two or three of those mistakes, but the rest of the time you play well, those two or three mistakes turned out turn into goals, and that's it. You're you're done. So, I think that there's a there's really into this the fact that it's a young blue line. There's only two really. NHL veterans in there with Matheson and Salah. And Matheson himself, even though he's got an amazing offensive season, has been prone to mental lapses, to to yeah. uh turnovers, and he's you know, he's 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 not the best defending defenseman in the league. So I think that they're being exposed in that sense, but I, I'm just concerned with to which extent is this a personnel issue or is this just letting time for for the, the the teachings and the learning that they're going through to really set in and for those young players to learn from it not only the defenseman but really the five men unit and eventually it will pay off in the future it has to because otherwise you know we're, we keep hearing from this team that from the fans that this team needs more scoring that they'll they need at least one more bona fide top six forwards and all that But the truth is, they also need to be able to defend. And if it won't matter if they, they go fetch an, a superstar up front, they need to be able to defend. And I'm so natural stat trick gives a, a certain portrait of the situation, but I feel like sometimes the eye test gives another. Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, listen, the Canadians' mistakes are big mistakes. Like that's the thing. That's what that's what natural Satrick doesn't catch is is the the glaring nature of it. To me, the one that jumps out, and to me, if I were Marty Saint Louis, this would drive me bonkers. So, the Canadians play um, on Saturday against the Caps. Uh, Martin makes the unusual call. Well, the team makes, I don't know who did actually, but the team makes the unusual call of practicing on the Sunday after. Then they get the Monday off, then they practice Tuesday, and then they played Wednesday against the Sabres. So over those two practices on Sunday and Tuesday, the obvious focus of practice both days was net front, slot yeah. coverage, uh, 
battles, getting sticks tied up, things of that nature, drill after drill after drill, where it became obvious that that's what's going on. They had all these drills when shots are coming in from the point and people have to defend their net front and tie up guys and do this. And, and they were not doing it for the offensive benefits of it. It was quite clear, especially if you looked at their previous games, that um, you know being loose and being leaky in the net front was an issue. And so, you know, Marty uh, sort of, you know, wrote it off during, I think, was it Super Bowl weekend? No. After the Blues game, I asked him about yeah. net front and, you know, he's like, oh, which one and whatever. But I think it became obvious. So, deal two practices on it. They play the Sabres. They're up one nothing after the first period on another Arbor Jack Eye bomb, who we should discuss at some point. But, I mean, it's um, – they come out of the second period and uh, they give up a tying goal to Zemgis Gergensens. How does Zemgis Gergensen score that goal? By standing in front of the Canadian's net alone, unbothered, yeah. and just left to his own devices to tip a shot from the point past the Canadian's netminder. If I were a coach who had just spent, just devoted two days of practice, almost the entirety of the practices to that specific situation and to watch that happen when you lead one nothing in the game, it ties the game. The Canadians eventually took the lead just a couple minutes later, but still, regardless, situationally, for that to happen after the two practices the Canadians had, that's what I would be concerned about if I'm Martin St. Louis, is that why? how is it that and in the past, he's done this. He's done. He's spent multiple practices on specific areas of the game in the past, and the, the team has generally responded well to those. Uh, you remember the, you know, the, the the trip out to the trip out to California. Yeah, you know, practice in Anaheim on yeah. the forecheck, and they had the, yeah. the whole emphasis was the forecheck, and it was two straight days of practice on the forecheck, and the forecheck markedly improved from that point on. Uh, this was two straight days of practice on this. And the first chance they had to show that they had improved in that area, uh, they give up a goal in that exact yeah. situation. So it's, yeah. you know, so when you say like, is it personnel, is it this, is that? I think it's a mixture of everything. I mean, I think the coaching staff can wear that a little bit. Like, obviously, the message didn't get through. Or there were other aspects of defensive zone coverage that they needed to address more than what they did. Uh, but the players... I mean, these these brain farts uh, are on the players as well, you know. And so I think it's it's a mixture of both, but there's definitely something there that that needs to be addressed because Marty's not wrong when he says, you know, when we make a mistake, it's in the back of our net. When they make a mistake, we can't finish. It's kind of that kind of combination. That's it. <laughs> it summarizes the situation pretty well. And no one's yeah. going to play mistake-free hockey, but that Gergensen's goal is not a matter of them not getting a save. You know, that's a matter of them leaving a guy alone in front of the net uh, to tip a shot past their goalie with with no one even coming close to bothering him. And that's exactly, exactly what Martin St. Louis tried to address over two straight days. Yeah, that level of awareness. And, it, and Marty mentioned on more than one occasion that the capacity of this team to correct themselves quickly – Mm -hmm. was was something that he was happy with when he takes a step back and looks as at the positive of the season so far that's meant to be one positive but i feel like the, defensively in their own end not not necessarily off the puck because there's aspects of the puck where they've gotten markedly better but i feel like in their own end it's you try to fix something and it it it, it slips not too mm -hmm. long after you know rush coverage It's been an issue in and out throughout the season. We had another example against the uh, against the Penguins on their on their third goal on Thursday night. Uh, but I want to I want to go back uh, to Gallagher because it's true that we mentioned we mentioned Gallagher on a, on a few occasions. But that new mistake, do you think that we're entering a different territory in terms of the level of patience that? Marty can have towards Gallagher and the balance between the feistiness and the effort and whatnot. Does it, is there a, a, a real benefit to playing him, continuing to trust him 
or playing more or playing less. I feel like I, I feel like he's he's getting uh, he's getting out of runway by the way that he's been playing this season. And well, that the, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, he he should listen. He's getting a lot of benefit of the doubt. Let's be honest. Brendan Gallagher is a player that Martin Saint will be played against. You know, I mean, he's getting benefit of the doubt. I think there's a lot of parts of him that 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 he that Marty appreciates. I mean, you looked in that game against the Penguins and on at least at least two occasions that I can think of. Uh, Gallagher took just shots on goal because he just seemed out of ideas, and he does. He's done that historically throughout his career, but I feel like now it's happening kind of just more out of exasperation or just not, not knowing what the better option is. Whereas before it was like genuinely trying to score. He, he was just a shot volume guy. And that's how the, that line played when he was playing with Dano uh, and Tatar. Uh, but in that Pittsburgh game, I, he, there were twice, there were two occasions where he shot the puck and Jari stopped it and smothered it and got a face off. And I was like, what was the point of that? Like, that's, yeah, it might as well be a turnover. You know, now you got to win the face off. Like it's, it's just not, and it's definitely not what Marty wants this team to do. You know, just take kind of hope shots that, 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 that you hope, you know, the notion that throw the puck on net, you never know what will happen. Yes, it's true. But I don't think that's how the Canadians want to play offensively. You know, they would like to create scoring chances and not just shoot and hope. Uh, but I think it's, it's, it's telling of, of where he's at with his game right now, you know? And I think that the penalty on Jeff Carter in the neutral zone, skating by, tugging on his arm for no reason is another sign of how he's just kind of exasperated with, with what is happening for him on the ice. And, you know, well, judging by Marty's look, Mar the coach too yeah. is exasperated. Yeah. And, and listen, he resisted again after the game to call him out and said, I think, I think Gally knows that that was wrong, except how many times are you, are you going to say that before you realize that he, he clearly doesn't know because he keeps doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's at least three times that I could think of this season, but it's probably more where Marty's given that answer about Brendan Gallagher. Gallagher's a veteran. He knows. I look at that penalty and I'm like, he doesn't know. He just got back from a suspension where he, he did something reckless and needless in the neutral zone, far from his net. Uh, you know, I know he explained that he thought Pellick was going to wind up with a breakaway if he didn't catch up to him and all the, all the, all the things that he justified in his mind. But the reality is, is that it was a non-threatening situation and Brendan Gallagher did something needless to put his team in trouble. And everything I just said there applies exactly to what happened in Pittsburgh with that Jeff Carter penalty, uh, which this is going to sound weird since Gallagher, you know, pegged Pellick right in the head with a nasty check, but you had less chance of getting away with the Jeff Carter thing because it wasn't like if Gallagher had just hit Pellick in the chest instead of the head, he probably wouldn't even have gotten a penalty there. You know, I mean, it was a little late, but it was, it was late, yeah. But so he might have gotten an interference penalty, but probably not. If we're being honest, like he had just had the puck, uh, the Carter thing. There's no way he's getting away with that. There's just none. It's like there's and there's no there's no reason to do it. And then a few seconds later, the the Penguins score, and it's just like it's you can't be a veteran who knows and then continuously does the thing he's supposed to know not to do. Well, we've discussed the the timing also of those penalties that put the team in trouble, but it's not as though it's not as if those penalties were really penalties of being just a bit too aggressive on the forecheck or you're trying to prevent a goal and you, you got you take this quote unquote good penalty. Those are those are terrible. They're yeah. just bad penalties. And so they, they And what, why the reason why I was asking about you know the risk and benefit? It's just that as he progresses in his career, he's giving you less and less, but he's costing you more and more. Mm -hmm. So at what point does that equation becomes 
untenable for the Canadians. Well, I mean, what is the what is the alternative? Like, what do you do? Well, right now he doesn't. There's not a a lineup full of superstars in front of him. He can still hope to play on the third line once in a while. He did against Pittsburgh. Uh, but on average, you know, since he came back from his suspension, he plays roughly 12 minutes a night. Uh-huh. I think that's how things are going to be from this point on. Uh, I don't see it changing anytime that's soon. What I, but that's what I mean, is that there's nothing more to do. He's already not playing a lot. No. I don't think they're going to take him out of the lineup. Um, he's he, he was playing on the fourth line when he came back out of the suspension. He got moved up a little bit. It's, I don't see what the options are this season, you know, and then you, you got to hope that he resets over the off season. And I mean, the positive for Gallagher is he's played every game so far, other than the five that he was suspended for, obviously, That's true. but, That's true. but you know, he's managed to stay in the lineup. He's, he's, I still believe, and I, it's, it's, I know I'm repeating myself, but I still believe that there's something to be, uh, something to be gained by having a Brendan Gallagher in your lineup. Even when this team becomes good, you know, down at the bottom of your lineup, it's still there. Except you, it's hard to make that argument when you keep doing costly, silly, careless things like this. That, that's the problem is that that argument becomes harder and harder to make when the one thing you're supposed to be bringing, which is like a, a veteran discipline and showing an example of of how to be a pro in, in games, in, in certain situations and not do anything reckless and not put yourself in a position to be called for penalties. Even if you don't think they are penalties, if you're putting yourself in a position to be called, that's veterans tend to not do that, not give the refs an opportunity to blow the whistle. And Brendan Gallagher has given the refs way too many opportunities to blow the whistle this season. So for this season, I don't, I don't, I don't really see any, any other consequence than what he's already got. He's already got pretty minimal, maybe, you know, maybe could be taken off the second wave of the power play, which plays like 30 seconds a game anyway. So, but yeah, it's, it's, it's something that he needs to look at over the off season and be like, why is this happening? Why am I doing this? And and really kind of get his head around the notion of being a, a lower in the lineup veteran leader for this team. And I think if he can do that effectively, then there's, then there's some good to be had with Brendan Gallagher as as new players come in, young players who who can learn from him. Uh, but he's not you, you're not going to be learning from him now if he keeps doing stuff like that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. No, it doesn't. That does not equate to what Marty has been routinely saying about Gallagher, which is he's bringing his teammates into the fight. That's yeah. not bringing his teammates into the fight. That that's is that's in his DNA as a hockey player. That's how he's been throughout his career. That's his identity. But right now, we're not seeing that. No. So no. And, and, and his identity was always like, listen, he's always taken penalties, but they've always been penalties you can live with. They've always been penalties where you say, okay, well, once in a while, that's going to happen when you play like that, but we'll take the, the overall package. So if he gets called for goalie interference, you're like, okay, well, we'll take the 10 times where he disrupts life for the goaltender and creates offense that way or, or creates goals without actually getting credit for them or scores himself. We'll take that goalie interference penalty every now and then because that's part of that's the cost of doing business that way. Whereas yeah. now there's no, there's no correlation between the penalties he's taking and, and the benefits of his style of play. So, so he needs to, he needs to shape up, you know, it's honestly like it's, he's, he's at a bit of a crossroads as far as his career goes. And, and I think, I think he has a lot of good years to offer if he could stay healthy, but he just got to get his head around, this new version of himself that he needs to sort of adapt to. So we'll see if there's a, 
in terms of accountability if he ends up being on the fourth line against New Jersey on Saturday. But the Montreal Canadiens have a new fourth line centerman in yes. Colin White. So uh, it's former former Kentucky's client. Yes, he's got one of uh, one of many. <laughs> yeah, one of many. There's another one who got injured. Uh, Jaden Struble got injured late in the game against Pittsburgh. We'll uh, we'll see uh, a bit later on if it's serious or not. But so Colin White, it's it's an interesting movement that happened in the past few days. Uh, past couple of days with first the Canadians claiming white on waivers off the, the Pittsburgh Penguins. So it's always fun when you see a, a guy basically going from best. one locker room to the other That's during the, the same on Sunday. Absolutely. Day. It's the best. The, yeah. It's uh, my favorite types of transactions. It doesn't beat Joel Youngblood though in baseball. No, which, it doesn't beat Joel Youngblood in baseball, but well, you want to tell the story? I, don't, I think some of our, our yeah, younger so listeners Joel Youngblood, might not know what you're talking about. Yeah, because we were kids back then. So yeah. 1984, if I'm not mistaken, the Montreal Expos uh, are playing in uh, San Francisco. Yes. And they are playing this, this utility player named Joel Youngblood. And then after the game, they trade him They were playing an afternoon game and they trade him to the New York Mets and Joel Youngblood managed to play two games on the same day for two different teams. Yeah. So I might have, the, I think I've got the sequence right, uh, but that, that's pretty much what I it believe, is. I believe that's correct. But yeah, it's yeah, definitely the end result was Joel Youngblood playing for two different teams on the same day uh, following a trade. So yes. Yeah. Because I got mixed up. Uh, yeah, because the other thing is that I think that he played for San Francisco afterwards. Afterwards, yes. Uh, yeah, but I think the two, the, in this instance, it was Montreal and the Mets on the same day, which is bunkers. Uh, I was trying to figure out, I thought for a moment that what happened to Colin White had happened also to uh, Devante Smith-Pelly, but I was wrong. It did not. Uh, do you have uh, any instance of something happening With the Canadians, uh, similar. Well, to Glenn, that? Glenn Metropolit, Glenn Metropolit was with the Flyers, I believe, when the Canadians picked him up, and uh, uh, oh, yeah. Montreal was in Philadelphia, and they picked up Glenn Metropolit on waivers, and he and he he crossed over and played for the Canadians that night. Um, so yeah, it's uh, okay. Oh wait a minute, here I actually pulled it up. Good old natural. Good old Metro. What a cool dude. Loved What a cool him. dude that guy Loved was. Him. Oh, I'll yeah. never forget him just crapping all over Jacques Martin. I think it was before <laughs> in, during in during the Capital Series. I think it was before game. It would have been before game five. So the Kings were down 3-1. They were in Washington. And I hung around afterwards and I talked to Metro Metro for a while. And he was because just he like, was scratched. Because he was scratched. And so he yeah, had a yeah. he had a bone to pick. And did he ever pick it? This guy doesn't know what he's doing, this and that. Like, it was just like, it was just a tirade. I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, this is gold. Um, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't actually an interview. Like, I didn't have a recorder out. I didn't have a notepad out. It was just two guys talking. And so I never actually used any of that stuff because to me, it wasn't clear if he knew we were on the record or not. And I don't like it if yeah. I don't make it clear that. I'm going to use this stuff that I prefer not to, but it was so ju and I, I couldn't have known that he was going to just spout off like this. And I was, I was honestly just having a conversation with him and it turned into that. But then, you know, the Canadians won the you next, can, Canadians but you can tell the, the story games. 14 years later. I could tell the story I, 14 years later. I feel pretty confident that Glenn Metropolis is not going to bind me saying um, that he wasn't happy with the coach at that time. Um, <laughs> no. He wasn't the only one, you know, we did that story kind of telling that, that that playoff run and you know they had there were meetings with players and coming up with strategies and so a whole bunch of stuff happened so maybe he wasn't he wasn't all wrong but the Canes did win their next three games and and knock the capitals out which is uh which is the Glenn Metropolitan angle of of crossing dressing rooms but the Colin White thing to get back to our original point yes um it's interesting because this was done largely for Laval this was probably done more for Laval than it was for Montreal. And so that's interesting to me because Laval is playing. So think of Brandon Gignac in this situation. I was at Laval uh, the morning skate this morning and, and they said, so this was at 
10.30 or 10.45, I spoke to J.F. Hull, and he said, well, if, if Gignac gets through waivers, which now he has, and he gets here in time, then we plan on playing him tonight. So the, the Rocket are playing the Marlies this evening and again uh, tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and they're putting him right back in the lineup because Brandon yeah. Gignac has been the Laval Rockets' best player this season. From start to finish, they're most consistent. Their offense goes through him. As as Hul said, and and he's ecstatic to be getting him back because they're in a race, and it's important to the organization that Laval make the playoffs. Um, they're getting Sean Farrell back tonight after a 19 game absence, if I'm not mistaken, uh, his second major injury of the season. Uh, but the young guys that are in Laval, this playoff race is going to be of utmost importance to the organization. And so Brandon Gignac is what I might suspect will be the first move meant to help the Rocket, but I can't imagine it'll be the last. I don't know if they're going to go out and trade for players to get to the Rocket, but I think the other moves are going to happen that are going to prioritize the Laval Rocket over the Canadians, I would imagine, between now and the deadline. Yeah, I think that uh, I wouldn't be surprised one bit if at some point, despite the fact that he does not deserve it, Joshua Rua would be sent down again. Yeah. He's proving right now that he's, he plays at, at an NHL level, and there are nights, just like yesterday against Pittsburgh, where he's one of the better Montreal forwards. And despite that, because they will they will want to prioritize the, the rocket, they might make that sort of move. Because we used to hear the, the expression nowadays is to say, we want to be playing meaningful games. Well, the... There are no more meaningful games for the Canadians at this point where they're at in, in the standings and, and the schedule. It's extremely meaningful for the Rocket, though, mm -hmm. and they want to keep it that way. And all those, they might not all be like future stars in the NHL, but there's a, a, a big enough group of players in Laval that could become the supporting cast of the Montreal Canadiens in the next few years. Oh, absolutely. So... Yeah, so so Gignac could end up carving up a fourth-line role as a regular in the NHL. He's got a chance to do that. But I'm thinking mainly, obviously, Logan Mayu, but Emil Heinemann. You mm -hmm. mentioned Farrell, who's got an outside chance of making it to the NHL. Uh, Trudeau has got a chance to. Uh, for now, Justin Barron is there. I don't know if he's going to stay in Laval or he's going to be called back and, and there's going to be like a sort of a... Uh, one goes up, one goes down type of situation on defense. But there's a, and obviously, and Jakob Dovesh too, we could add his name to that group. So they're going to, they want to make sure that this team is able to have success, that they win those meaningful games so that that's, there's an investment, there's a chance at a learning experience in a winning environment. Mm -hmm. Granted, it's not at the NHL level. But they're going to take the next best thing because those guys are all part of the same organization. They are all they're all on the same team in September. They're all mixed up, so they they're going to they're going to help the team that needs it the most. And honestly, sure. Colin White, he can it could be him, could be another guy. But they're just taking a guy who can just make that job, make the job, or or do the job uh, for the Canadians on the fourth line, and because they know him. From his personality, he's a really outgoing, easy to deal with type of guy. They say he's going to be really low maintenance, and we can plug him there for the last X number of games that we have, and and really help our farm team to do yeah what we want them to accomplish. Yeah, and he's you know, and and that's that's the they basically made a trade for for Laval. They traded yeah you know, and so it's and and. You know, when you talk about the supporting cast, like when I think of what the Canadians hope to accomplish in Laval, I think of what Tampa did with Syracuse Crunch. Alex Kalorn, Andre Palat, Tyler Johnson, like all these guys all came up, John Cooper as their coach there, all came yeah. up together. And, you know, no one would have looked at Andre Palat at that time and said, wow, that guy's going to be a future important piece of like multiple Stanley Cup final teams and, and winning teams. Um, Radko no, Gudis was there. Radko Gudis was there. Yeah, they had they had just 
amazing group of talent, unheralded talent, like not all mm-hmm. high draft picks, you know, Tyler Johnson wasn't drafted. Palat, I think was a seventh round pick, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, the hope would be that you create that environment, Laval, and you unearth or you develop guys like that, guys that you did not expect to become key players, uh, but but wind up becoming key players. And so, so it's important that they get into the playoffs, have those experiences. And, and so, you know, Laval has the two games um, against the Marlies, one tonight, Friday night. Uh, we're recording at 3.15, so, so Friday evening. And then Saturday afternoon at 3 p.m., uh, they play them again. So the Rocket entered this game one point behind the Marlies. The division's bonkers, right? So you have yeah, Cle- yeah. Cleveland at the top <laughs> with 64 points. You have Syracuse second with 59. And then from third to sixth, you have Rochester at 54, Belleville at 53, Toronto at 52, Laval at 51. And then you have Utica at 47. So those four teams are three points apart. Rochester, Belleville, Toronto, Laval. So these two games against Toronto are obviously quite um, quite significant. Toronto has two games in hand on Laval, so that kind of skews that a bit. But um, they're significant games, and, and they definitely uh, – the organization has a lot to gain. If they want to recreate that Syracuse crunch experience or some version of it, their own version of it, they need to be playing playoff games. And so – a critical time, and honestly, two weeks away from the deadline means that we're two weeks away from knowing who the Canadians are going to paper to make them eligible for the AHL playoffs. You know, like, and they have to. That's the whole. That whole dance has to has to happen. Um, and while we're on the subject, I know we didn't plan on talking about this, but you know, I spoke to Justin Barron this morning. Yeah, and and he's talking about. It? He seems to, he seems good actually. He's fully yeah. invested. He's fully invested in what's going on in Laval. That's for sure. Um, he, you know, that's his team. He's he 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 hopes to be called up to the Canadians. It's not as if he's like given up on being called up to, by the Canadians, but he is not sitting by his phone waiting for that call. No, no, is no. is the impression a little bit I like get. Jack I earlier who well, had really embraced the situation? Well, that's my point. Is that you see what's going on with Jack I right now? You look at the games he's played recently. The confidence with the puck, it, striking the right balance between his own identity and the and the and the version of him the Canadians want him to become, um, you know, really, I think is a feather in in JF Hull's cap. But not only JF Hull in Laval, but the development staff, Adam Nicholas, Scott Pellerin, Paul Byron, um, you know, all the guys. Like I was at the morning skate today, and Adam Nicholas was on the ice with guys. You know, like so it's really an organizational thing. Um, and you to see Jack Eye come out the other side, uh, you know, if you're Justin Barron, I think you should look at that and be like, okay, well, look at like look what he's doing now. You know, now he's playing like impactful games. He's he's you know had what twenty one minutes against 20, Pittsburgh. Yeah, but yet not a top four <laughs> defenseman. <laughs> somehow, somehow Marty took a took exception with our colleague Luc Gelina referring to him being in the top four, even though he was third on the team for defensemen in ice time in that game. Yeah. Uh, but if I'm Barron, I'm looking at that and I'm like, okay, well, this process, here's the result of the process I'm in right now. And that, frankly, is a healthy thing for an organization, that you have a guy who was confused, was not playing well, uh, looked to be going through the telltale signs of a sophomore slump and everything that it entails, the mental sort of uh, mind meld that goes on after you have a successful rookie season, goes down there, pays his, like does his work, works on his game, gets a lot of help from a lot of different areas of resources of the organization, uh, goes back up and succeeds. And now Barron's trying to do the same thing. So I think he's in a good place. He's he feels, you know, I, I mentioned to him how Mar- Marty St. Louis mentioned that when he got sent down, his confidence was was really down uh, and it was yeah. starting to impact different areas of his game. And and while he didn't like hearing that, he did kind of admit that that is basically what happened. And so now uh, he sort of <laughs> this was funny. So I was like, so how do you how what is the process like of getting your confidence back in the AHL, which in and of itself being here, you would think would be. Uh, a knock to your confidence, like a further knock to your confidence. Like, oh, so I've been sent down. How is it building? And then, so he started giving sort of, you know, increased puck touches and more time with the puck and this and that. And at one point he sort of kind of whispered, he's like, 
you're also like not playing against the best players in the world anymore. And so you feel better about yourself. <laughs> yeah. And I well, was yeah, like, he's, pro- he's probably their best defenseman down well, there. Well, it's just, and that's just a fact. You were not, the, yeah. they're, they're literally, you were literally in a league with the best players in the world. And now you're in a lower league, which is still an excellent league. But the level of quality goes down. It's just the way he said it. I felt like he was embarrassed to say it or <laughs> d- just didn't feel the good saying it. But it's a fact, you know, you're playing against worse players. Yeah. So, um, but I think that there's a whole lot more to it when it comes to what the Canes were able to do with Jack Kai and to see him come out the other side is, is I think a, a really encouraging sign for the organization. But if I'm Justin Barron, I'm looking at Arbor Jack Kai and saying, I'm going to keep my head down and work down here. And that could be me. And I think that's what he's doing to his credit. And I think as a sidebar to that, I'm not sure to which extent it's a big factor, but it must play in, in the player's psyche somewhere. The fact that Laval has a bigger building, a full building. Mm-hmm. They've got like very professional NHL, NHL caliber um, infrastructures. Yeah. makes it so that when you go down, you don't feel like all of a sudden you're in a dump, you know, and, yeah. and, the, and the gap is so huge that you remember day after day how huge the gap is. Mm-hmm. Because when you're in Laval, The environment is it's it's refreshing. It's really if you're not in the NHL, it's the next best thing. So I think that for for those players, it's it's it it, it helps soften the blow a little bit. The fact that they're they're so, for sure for sure and they're and, taking they're looked after so well. You know, I mean, we heard Arbor talking about how great it is to play in Laval while he was there. You know, when we were when we were both talking to him that day, and he was like blown away at the contrast between Laval. And some of these other buildings, I think you mentioned like Lehigh Valley and like, you know, some of the buildings that they play in where it's just night and day. It's like, I think, I believe his quote was like, are we even in the same league? Like, does he see, how is it possible to play games here in Laval and it feels like this and now we're playing this game in an empty building with no life. So definitely an advantage as far as, as far as that stuff's concerned. But, um, but yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to quickly go back to the Gignac and White thing um, because the Canadians did gamble a little bit, at, or they must, or I assume that they must have made the proper estimation and and calibration that they would not lose Gignac on waivers. Yeah, but had they, if they had lost him on waivers, it would have been it would have looked bad on the organization. Yes, because because. Trading Gignac for Colin White would be, be awful. Yeah, that'd be terrible. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. I mean, but... Uh, so, so but, I just, you know, they, they must have known what they were doing because you're testing, very often you tend to test the waters and you understand in advance, you know, who's who who is likely to be interested in your player, your... You, You send fillers, you get as much information as you can so that when you put someone on waivers, either it's because you want him to be picked up or it's because yeah. you know that he's not going to be picked up, but it should not, either outcome should not come as a super surprise if you've done your homework beforehand. Yeah, And but it, at the same time, you can't know, like, that's why I think, which is still strikes me as odd, but like the Canes knew that they were going to lose this to Lindstrom to the ducks they had to have how could they not have you know and so they did that for a reason that i still haven't quite figured out why they just gave a player away but it's um but it seemed obvious that that's what was going on that time you know like lindstrom like that was right after the jamie drysdale cutter gotay trade the ducks needed a right shot d all of a sudden gustav lindstrom's on waivers i'm like oh look There's a solution to our yeah. problem right there. After not going on waivers for weeks and not playing and not getting in the lineup, but the thought being that we can't send him back to Laval because we're going to lose him on waivers, and they put him on waivers on the very day where he is most likely to get picked up on waivers. Yes. Yeah. Something weird there. But anyhow, I mean, it's – it's yes, I think – so I do think they did have to have a, an inkling that – I mean, the main thing they had going for them is that whoever picks up someone on waivers has to keep them on the NHL roster, right? So right. they, you could do a quick analysis around the league and say, okay, who, who even has a roster spot? 
that that would make sense to replace someone with Brendan Geniak. Like if you look around and you sort of do the calculations and be like, well, okay, well, he's not likely to get he's not likely to get picked up because there's nowhere for him to go. Mm-hmm. But you never know with the, the bottom. But anyhow, you're right. It would have been a bad look, but I think they felt pretty confident that he was going to get through. Hey, Arpit. Yeah. It's time. It's time. Okay. It's time. It's time. Okay. So um, it is Friday. It's Friday. So last week for our future Friday segment, Marc Antoine, uh, because I'm a big child um, and Marc Antoine's not. So Marc Antoine allowed me. After cutting me off previously, we had we had readers and we had listeners, sorry, comment that Marc Antoine, let Arpin sing the Future Friday jingle. So I did. And it was awful, but it was fun. So we had a listener by the name of Greg McPherson who heard that and was like, you know what? I'm going to make you a jingle for Future Friday. Now, Greg McPherson is um, is a musician. Um, he actually is playing a show uh, tomorrow, Saturday evening, at the Broom Factory in Kingston. Um, he's a recording artist. So so he uh, enjoys the show, sent us an email, and included five different versions of a Future Friday jingle, some of which <laughs> sampled my singing of the Future Friday jingle. So today... February 23rd, big shout out to Greg McPherson for doing this for us. We are debuting the Future Friday jingle. Here it is. Enjoy. Future Friday. Great. I love it. I love it. Got kind of like a like kind of like a reggae downbeat sort of vibe to it. Like yes. it's yeah. I love it. Greg McPherson. I love it. I love it. Thank yeah, you so a- much, Greg McPherson. That was that's phenomenal. You will hear that every Friday from now on. That is the yes. official the official theme song to Future Friday on the Bass Good Day Notebook. All right. So let's today. get into Future Friday then. Yeah, so we're combining two things because there's someone, there's a, a listener who sent us a question for the Monday mailbag that was about a prospect. So we decided to answer that question on Future Friday. So it was the Gargoyle who sent us a question regarding Philip Erickson. Philip Erickson, he said, uh, he wrote to us, this is what a sixth round pick last year. He started in the SHL and has 17 points in 15 games in the Alsvenskan. Should he be someone to watch? And have you heard anything from the organization recently about this prospect? So I did a bit of digging. Um, I actually spoke to his junior coach in Sweden. Ah, so, wow. Yeah, I did. So really? uh, This is real Erickson, devotion to Future Friday, I got to say. like this, I'm, I'm really impressed. Well, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, love, I like it. Well, people I like ask it. questions. We, okay. yeah. So... It turns out that uh, he was Erickson was one of the top U twenty uh, players. I mean, on the U twenty U eighteen team where he was playing in um, in Troja, he was playing over twenty five minutes a game. Mm-hmm. But he's considered a bit of a late bloomer, and, and traditionally in Sweden, the way that they do like their national teams, usually the the U sixteen that they identify, they 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 let them grow together and they basically remain pretty much the same group until the U20. They remain the same national team. So it's hard to crack the lineup if you have not been identified early on. And Ericsson was not. And he was – so he's, he's perceived as a bit of a late bloomer, of, uh, definitely someone who flew under the radar. But in his junior team, he was an assistant captain. He was really the sort of guy, not certainly not a rah-rah guy, more like leading by example. Um, he was playing center there, but right now uh, he's playing in um, uh, he's playing for Nybro in the Alsvenskan, and he's he's used more as a winger. Mm-hmm. And what I was told was that 
uh, it's definitely is is um, is hockey sense that stands out the most. And I've watched I watched a, uh, a few of his games, but his junior coach told me that for the Canadians to draft him in the sixth round, he felt as though it was a potential steal for them. Now he might be biased. Uh, because he coached him and he really liked him, he was really the uh, a difference maker on his team. But mm -hmm. you got to say, you got to recognize the fact that you know he's playing right now uh, for Nairo. He's playing his 16 game with Nairo, and he's the only player on the team uh, who's at more than a point per game clip. And he's only only 18 years old, so yeah. that's very encouraging. He's getting he's getting uh, massive ice time, like massive, massive. He's yeah. I mean, he's playing over 20 minutes with Nibro. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so the gargoyle, our listener uh, mentions oh, in his tweet that uh, he had started the season in the, S in the SHL where he was playing only 9.30 on average per game. Yeah. Uh, so it's really a matter of opportunity uh, with Nibro. He's playing both the power play and the, and the PK, but he's mainly an offensive guy. So he's, he's used on the, uh, in the right circle on the power play. And he's definitely a lot more of a passer and a and a and a, uh, a playmaker than a shooter. Mm -hmm. I saw him score a goal though uh, against Kalmar, <laughs> uh, not Kalmar, but Kalmar, <laughs> where it was an amazing backhand shot, like top shelf, really nice backhand. But you just he doesn't use his shot a whole ton. Um, but anyway, that's where he plays on the PP. But even though he plays on the PK, he's definitely an offensive guy. He's not a, he's not yet a 200 foot player. Uh, but he's 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 committed at blocking shots if need be. He's he's a guy that uses his speed also to uh, to press uh, on the forecheck. So he, he seems to be like a pretty good forechecker. But it's what I've seen from him, and it was confirmed by the uh, by, by the coach over there. It's the fact that he's got very good anticipation at um, identifying the empty spaces, the pockets of the pockets of ice. So as soon as he passes the puck, he goes to those pockets. So he becomes an option again. So he gets the play moving a lot that way. Mm. But he's skinny. I mean, he's six foot tall. He's not a small kid, but he's really, really skinny, and uh, yeah. he's never going to win a ton of battles and it, that's yeah elite prospects you know, has, him at, about, has him at 172 yeah that's yeah. it so he's there's we always talk about european players how the game could translate mm. that's an issue where there there's there might be a problem of of translability of his game because he's he's not bound to win a lot of puck battles he he, he doesn't engage physically almost at all he, he always uses his stick so It's going to be a challenge. So for a player like that, it's really a long-term investment where no matter if he's putting up a lot of points and he's really impressing a lot of people uh, in the Alvenskan this year, he's a sort of project that you say you might play in the Alvenskan next year and then play another year or two in the SHL and then we'll talk. But if the, if the Canadians start getting all excited because he's putting up a lot of points in that second division in Sweden this year, and they think that they need to sign the guy and bring him over quickly, it might be a mistake. So just, and especially with the fact that he doesn't have a big build, let him get a, get some maturity yeah, both yeah. in his play and think, his body. I don't think they're feeling urgency. And it actually reminds me of something that Jeff Hull was talking about today because, you know, with Farrell coming back in uh, Laval, you know, I kind of asked about, because uh, prior to the season, you know, when, when it was, thought that Philip Meshar was going to play in Laval, who expressed some concern that they would have Meshar, Kidney, Farrell. Um, he didn't mention him at the time, but but he does now. Jared Davidson, he puts in that group. Um, and and was worried that he has too many smaller guys on his team. So yeah. today when I asked him about that, and like, how do you think Farrell and Kidney are, are, are learning to – to play at their size in the AHL and kind of be those, those kind of complete players that you need to be at the pro level. He said, you know, they're progressing well, but it's going to take time and you got to be patient. That's when he threw Jared Davidson in the mix, who, who was gone on a scoring tear ever since, basically ever since Gignac got called up. Uh, he's been driving the bus offense wise in Laval. And so that's, 
another guy who's, you know, was a fifth round pick last year in 2022, I should say. So he's like these kinds of guys, later picks, Davidson, Kidney, Farrell, they're longer term projects. And so the more of those longer term projects that wind up in Laval at some point, the better off the organization will be that of, of unearthing a potential Palat, let's say, to use the, the prior analogy. Um, and maybe Erickson will be someone like that. Who knows? But probably not. But the fact that they have someone showing some potential is a good sign. The other thing I want to say is that when, if you think back to last year's, to the last draft, 2023 draft, starting with the Ryan Bacher pick, going right down to the bottom of the Canadians docket, a lot of, a lot of draft experts were puzzled by what the Canadians did at the draft. A lot of fans were upset, not only with the Ryan Bacher pick, but the fact that they put three goalies, the fact that they didn't really get any elite offensive talent in any way, shape, or form. But you look at the draft now, just a few months later, obviously Ryan Bacher is a whole separate category. Jacob Fowler is kicking ass at Boston College, has been one of the best goalies in the NCAA. Florian Jackai we talked about last week. Bogdan Konyushkov is, you know, borderline he's a really intriguing prospect for this organization. Like what he's doing in the KHL at his age, at his size um, is quite promising, you know, sort of an offensive defenseman. Then you look at, uh, at Volokin, who they took the goalie, they took in the fifth round, uh, the Russian goalie who's ripping up the MHL and is, has the organization quite excited. And then you have Erickson in the sixth round. So yeah, just, I guess, Sometimes you got to let things play out. And you know what? Maybe none of these players make it that I just mentioned, but I'll, every player I just mentioned, with the, with the exception of Fowler, I think everyone recognized that Fowler was a very good pick at the, in the third round and that he had a lot of promise, and, and no one really questioned that. But the Jackeye pick was definitely questioned by you and I as well. Konyushkov, no one had ever heard of him, really. Uh, the Volokin, you know, was the third goalie the Canadians picked, so he that elicited some outrage. And I don't think the needle moved much when the Canadians called Philip Erickson's name in the sixth round. But still, you know, it's the, the initial reaction to draft picks, the initial trade, the initial draft grades that are given out at various publications, the initial analysis. Sometimes you just got to let it play out and see how things play out. And frankly, that draft, perhaps with the exception of Rhinebacker, that draft is just because of all the, you know, that's a whole separate story, but it, it's that there's a lot of good stories coming out of the, the players the Canadians drafted in 2023, yeah. at least at this early stage. And Philip Erickson's one of them. He's he's just another yeah. one. For sure. And it, I mean, he's been, so he's been splitting his season between the SHL and the Auswenskan, as I, I was saying earlier. Uh, in the SHL, he's playing for Vecle. Actually, yeah. Cause, cause, Is that how you, you pronounce we'll, that? Yeah, See, yeah. I so didn't want to say. I didn't want to say. I didn't want to say it because I didn't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, it's not Vaxio. Yeah, no, it's not it's Vaxio. Vecle? It's Vec Vecle. But there's no L. So <laughs> anyhow, Wait. it's okay. I know. I know. You I know. know. You've gotten it from Forsberg good sources. Should be Fors Forsberg should be Forsbre, and then the and then still, I mean, the, ah, the R is not okay. before the E. Ah. There's all sorts of things that we don't understand. <laughs> right. So it's vex. It's vexle. I like vexle. 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 Because I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a Lakers fan, and they're called the Lakers. So I like that. Vexle Lakers. Yeah. yeah. So, so th that team. He's not playing there a lot, but that's the thing with the SHL is that when th the top teams traditionally don't play their youngers, their no. youngsters a lot, and the worst teams either. Because the worst teams that are fighting against relegation, they're going to try to load up as much as possible on older and capable players that can provide immediate results. So it's definitely, in that sense, it's not really a Well, it's not a development because it's not a development league. It's, it's literally not. It's, it's, yes, there are players developing in the, in the SHL. Um, It's not a development. I mean, I, I just had the same experience in Switzerland with the Swiss League. It's it's these are professional leagues where they have concerns about selling tickets, about paying salaries, about making money. They're businesses, and and they have to win in order to make money in order to get people in the seats. So 
the SHL, just like the Liga in Finland, just like the, you know, the National League in Switzerland, just like the KHL, not development yeah. leagues. They're European professional leagues and they're not, you know, they have no interest in playing a kid up the lineup just because the Montreal Canadiens want to see him in a top six role and play him on the power play because they, no, they don't, they don't do that. And they shouldn't, frankly, yeah. it's not, it's not their job. So, um, but you know, I think 17 points in 15 games in the Osvenskin is, is pretty decent for a six round pick. You know, yeah, and he got an assist. He earned an assist today, also. So it's uh, eighteen and sixteen. It's, ah, it's, there you go. It's excellent. It's it's yeah. uh, it gets people excited. So even though, yeah, my point was that even though he split between two leagues, so he's got a lot less games played in the Alvenskan than the other rookies. Uh, but the, his name is starting to be uh, mentioned for an award called the Golden Cage. That's So basically, you know, the, the, when you wear a cage uh, yeah. w with your helmet. So the golden cage is basically like the top rookie in the league. Oh, because so, the U18 players have to wear a cage. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, I, like so that. he, I like that. That's a, good, that's a good award. Right. So golden cage. Um, and so he, he played a lot less than the other ones, but he's, he's been so dominant mm -hmm. that uh, he's forcing himself into that that. Uh, conversation despite the fact that he might not quite meet the threshold of the numbers of games played just yet but uh i mean he scored in 12 of his 16 16 games so he's he's been very very effective um and i like also the good he's got good pace to his game too quite a good skater it, it looks a little bit he reminds when i, I was skating i uh, was watching him it reminded me a little bit of lars seller in terms of the way that he moved Mm -hmm. skating and a bit bouncy in his stride uh, the, of the Lars Eller uh, the Montreal days maybe not the way he's skating now but uh, yeah he's got quick edges and whatnot so anyway that's that's Philip Erickson for you guys alright great alright well that'll wrap things up for this week's episode thank you all for listening um, if you made it this far a reminder you can if you're watching us on YouTube you can subscribe to the SCPN channel and um follow us there obviously on apple or any other podcast platform if you give us a rating um give us a follow or a subscription on that platform so that you will be notified every time a new episode comes up um we would appreciate that would help uh would help keep the lights on in here so thanks so much for listening and we'll be back on monday a new episode um until then have a great weekend marc antoine enjoy your weekend you too sure Go get a beer. Sure. <laughs>